Our sermon passage for this morning is Galatians 4, 8 through 20. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first, and though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. This is God's word. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come to you right now, and uh, we are absolutely in awe of the fact that you are a living, holy, and just God, and, and in looking down on this world and seeing our sin and our brokenness, Lord, your response was to send your Son as the Savior of sinners, Lord. And Lord, I thank you. I thank you for the good news of the work that, that Christ did through his life and death on the cross. I thank you for the message that is proclaimed when we get to testify to his resurrection. And I'm so grateful, Lord, that the only thing that you ask of us is that we trust you and respond to you in faith, Lord. Lord, we have nothing. Lord, we have nothing to add to the work that you've done. We have nothing to supplement that great work, Lord. The only thing that we have is to sit back and rejoice in the fact that what you did on the cross was perfect and complete and it lacked nothing, Lord, and that when we believe that, when we trust that and we follow you, Lord, that we are made right with you and we are clothed with all of the holiness and all of the righteousness of your son. Lord, we love you and praise you. Amen. Please have a seat. My name is LJ. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer. Um, normally, I'm in the first service. I teach um, Sunday school class in the second service. So it's kind of nice to be here in the second service and see a lot of the faces that I don't get to see a lot. Um, and then also to realize how many faces are here of people that I don't know yet. Um, so I'm glad that you're here. Uh, if this is your first time here, uh, we are working through the book of Galatians. Um, so if you have your Bibles... Uh, please go ahead and open up to Galatians chapter 4, and we'll be focusing on verses 8 through 20. Um, and again, as Austin said earlier, if you do not have a Bible with you today, you can look down in the chairs in front of you. In one of those chairs, there should be a Bible. Um, if you would like that Bible, we would love for you to take that as a gift from Redeemer today. Um, so for the past few weeks, we have been going through the book of Galatians. 
Uh, and in getting ready for this uh, message, I've gone back and I've read through the book of Galatians multiple times, and I've listened to Jamie's uh, previous sermons on the book of Galatians. And having read the book of Galatians and listened to the sermon, uh, I'm realizing Paul had a very specific point that he was trying to make in the book of Galatians. Uh, Paul is, is writing, and he's writing to this church and, and reminding them that the gospel that he first preached to them, the gospel that they first received, was a gospel that they could be made right with God simply through faith in Christ and Christ alone, right? He was teaching salvation by grace through faith in Christ and Christ alone, that the work of Christ was sufficient and that there was nothing needed or nor was there anything that we could add to that gospel to supplement it. But this was the problem that Paul was facing when he was writing to the Galatians. See, after Paul had been with the Galatians and preached that gospel, there was a contingent of Jewish believers that had come in behind him, and they had the belief that the gospel came within a Jewish context. So in order for the Galatians to really understand their faith, that they needed to begin to practice the law and, and observe the things of the Old Testament the way that they did. They came in with this idea of, yes, you have salvation by faith, but let's give you a better faith through the observance of the law. And Paul challenges that, and he says, no, this is not a better faith. This is not a better gospel. This, is, in fact, is no gospel at all. For salvation was offered to the Galatians as a gift to be received only through faith. And at the moment in which the Galatians came back and they said, we would like this gift, but we would like to earn it through obedience to the law, the gift was no longer a gift. They began to follow a gospel that wasn't a gospel at all. Now, we have preached this message for multiple weeks now. And in reality, Paul, in teaching through the book of Galatians, has repeated the same thing over and over and over again, and that is that salvation comes through faith in Christ and in Christ alone. And Paul has gone through the history of the Old Testament and made that case. Paul has made a biblical case for that belief. He's made a theological case for that belief. He has made it exceptionally clear what he believes. And in this passage that we're coming to, Paul is about to switch that, and he's going to turn it to an almost purely passionate plea to the Galatians to consider the gospel that they first received. Now, if you guys are anything like us in our small group for the past couple of weeks, we've caught ourselves uh, talking through the sermon and simply asking the same questions over and over again because we've been preaching the same message over and over again, right? We've found differing forms of preaching the same idea of salvation through faith in Christ alone. And I've caught myself really asking the question, well, how many times can we preach a sermon on the same theme? And this is kind of the end result of being a part of a church that's committed to preaching through a book of the Bible. That is when the book of the Bible repeats itself, we're going to repeat ourselves, so if you happen to be here and, and find yourself asking the question, well, how many sermons can a person preach on salvation through faith in Christ alone? The answer is at least one more, <laughs> at least one more. All right. So Paul comes to Galatians and he makes this appeal. He makes it in a new way. Paul, in this passage, if, as you were reading along with us, you probably can tell Paul is pretty passionate about what he's saying. He is hyped up. 
He is angry at the message that the Jews are bringing, and he is perplexed. He's confused by what's going on with the church of Galatia. He's using language that's really interesting when he approaches them, and he's, he's, he's punctuating his sentences with things like, well, did I labor in vain? Did the gospel that I once preached to you that you received in joy, has that now made me your enemy? And in this entire passage, he ends, he doesn't even resolve his thought necessarily. He comes to the end of this section of the text and he simply says to the Galatians, Galatians, I am perplexed. I'm just confused as to where you are right now. And I like this because it's so easy for us to kind of think about Paul as, as a theological aloof individual that sits at his great desk and he writes these theological treaties to the churches. But here in this passage, we get to see something beyond the theological side of Paul. We get to see the pastoral heart that goes into his, his apostolic leadership. We don't just get to see Paul the scholar, but here we get to see Paul kind of like a mama bear out to protect his cubs. He's looking for a fight. He's passionate, and I like that. I like that because even though he's clearly upset, his passion reminds us of the fact that he has not lost hope in the gospel. Even though he's confused by the way the Galatians are responding, he's speaking to the Galatians clearly and passionately because he has not lost hope in what the gospel could do in the life of the Galatians. So we're going to look into this appeal. We're going to look into his personal passionate appeal to the Galatians and in, in the hope that as we look at the way that Paul communicates with the Galatians, that we also would be encouraged by the fact that there is always hope in the gospel. So we're going to start with his first point, and I'm just calling the point exactly as he ends the sentence. He ends this first passage with, I am afraid that I may have labored over you in vain. And I'm starting this point with the simple question of, did I labor in vain? So let's read this together. It says, formally, in verse 8, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather you have been known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and the worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe the days and the months and the seasons and the years, and I'm afraid that I may have labored over you in vain. Now, when we see that, and we see Paul writing to the Galatians and asking the question or making the statement that he's afraid that he may have labored over them in vain, it can be really easy to jump to this thought of, well, is Paul suggesting here that the Galatians may have lost their salvation? And I don't think that this is what he's suggesting at all. And Paul is actually very clear in all of his teaching that, that salvation comes by means of hearing, and when a person hears and believes, they are sealed with the Spirit, and that Spirit becomes their guarantee of an inheritance. In this passage, I don't think Paul is contradicting his belief in the security of salvation, but Paul is also a pastor speaking from a pastoral heart to these individuals, and he's saying, hey guys, the security of your salvation is entirely dependent on the work of Christ, but as one individual to another, I'm looking at the fruit of your life and the fruit of your belief system, and I can only come to one of two conclusions. I can only conclude that either you did believe the gospel and now you have been deceived and led astray, or you didn't actually understand the gospel correctly when it was first preached to you. 
He's not suggesting that they may have lost their salvation. He's simply saying that the fruit of their life right now is not in kind with one that actually believed the gospel. So he says, guys, let's take a moment and let's just reevaluate your testimony. Do you guys not remember? Do you remember what it was like before you knew God? Do you remember what it was like when you were enslaved to worship of gods that were not God? Do you remember carrying your sacrifice up to make your sacrifice before an idol that there's a good chance that you knew the guy that carved the idol in the first place? You were devoted passionately to this act of worship that deep within you, you had to have known it wasn't real because you caught yourselves crying out for a response from God to a God that has no ears to hear you. Guys, you thought that you were worshiping, but the fact of the matter is, is in your worship of false idols, you were enslaved through the elementary principles of this world. And what you thought was worship, what you actually realized was that you were devoted to nothing more than what sin had control over within your life. You were dead. Paul says that in Ephesians, dead in your trespasses and sins, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Guys, you thought you were worshiping, but you were worshiping nothing. Then he gives this rich truth, this kernel of the gospel, and he says, but do you remember the time that you knew God? I preached the gospel, you heard the gospel, you claimed to have believed the gospel, and the Spirit began to work. And when the Spirit began to work, he didn't work because of your obedience to the law. Galatians, you didn't even know the law when I preached the gospel to you. The power of the Spirit arrived simply through the proclamation of the gospel, and in that moment, you knew God, better yet, you were known by God. And for a moment, you got to have this experience of realizing, hey, I had been crying out for years trying to get the attention of a God that could not hear me. And now a God knows me and he loves me because he wants to know me. We love him because he first loved us. If we know God, we only know him because he wanted us to know him. And this is a depth of the gospel that Paul is pleading for the Galatians. Guys, please remember what it was like before you knew him. And please do not return and enslave yourself to a system that cannot reveal God to you. That's what the Jews, the contingent of Jews were coming and asking of the Galatians. They were saying, hey guys, you have faith. We've heard that you have faith, but here, let us share with you this law. Let us share with you this law because this law will actually improve your faith. And and Paul is saying, no, the law does not improve your faith. Your faith is based on a free gift that was offered to you through faith and through faith alone. If you then go back to the law and try to earn the gift, you nullify the gift. The gift is no longer a gift. Paul is saying, guys, don't just remember your testimony. Remember my testimony. You guys were pagans, but I wasn't. I was a Pharisee. These guys are trying to convince you to live the law. I lived the law, and I lived the law better than any of them. 
I was a Pharisee of Pharisee, a Jew among Jews. I know the word better than they did. I was more observant than any of them. And do you know what it did me, did for me? And earlier in chapter four, Paul makes the confession that in my absolute blind obedience to the law, it put me in the exact same position that your submission to false gods puts you. I was a slave to the elementary principles of this world. So here's the thing, Paul is communicating the Jewish desire to be obedient to the law was not bad in itself. The law is not bad. The law is not wicked. Circumcision is not evil in itself. Celebrating the festivals and the dates and the years, these things are not evil in themselves. But when the Jews presented this as a precondition of faith, Paul is coming back and saying, no, the only condition... The only condition to being accepted by the God of the universe that sent his son to die for sinners, the only condition necessary is to be a sinner and to trust in faith. So Paul is saying, hey guys, don't submit to what these guys are telling you. I've walked that path and it did nothing for me. You have tasted what the real gospel is like. Do not exchange that for something that is far less. I grew up in north central Florida in a small country town. A lot of people don't believe that there are country towns in Florida, but there are. <clears throat> oh, I mean, we were not a, a very well-to-do family, but like anybody from the country, we were convinced that the epitome of luxurious dinner was steak. Like, that's what you ate. When you were having a good dinner, you had a steak dinner. And we didn't have steak often, um, but about once a year, my dad would take us to Stark. Now, I don't know if you know of Florida, but Stark is about as big as Stark sounds. All right, Stark is not big, but they were bigger than where I'm from. <laughs> all right, Stark had something that my town did not have. Stark had a Western Sizzlin, right? And at Western Sizzlin, on a Friday night, you could drive into Stark and you could get an all-you-could-eat steak buffet, Right? So about once a year, the James family loaded up in our Chevy Astro, and we drove to Stark, and my dad paid for that, bay, that, that uh, buffet, and we lived the life of luxury, and we dined, we feasted on steak. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever eaten it at all-you-can-eat steak buffet, but if you have, you're probably aware of the quality of the steak we were eating at the Western Sizzlin. All right, we're talking about 90% gristle with the hint of steak in the background, Right? But I didn't know any better. Like for me, that was it. That was steak. So years later, when I was an adult, Amy and I got married. We'd been married for a couple years and her boss came to her and we were like, hey, we're just really thankful for something she had done at work. They gave us a gift card to a place called the Angus Barn. Right? The Angus Barn is a restaurant in Durham, North Carolina. Angus Barn's nice. They gave us this and they were like, hey, go have some steak. And we looked at the amount of the gift card and we were like, oh, we're going to be eating steak for a long time. We were wrong. It was a big gift card, but we got there and saw the prices, and we realized, like, I don't know if we can afford to tip on this. So uh, we sit there, and I, I mean, I look down, and I find my T-bone, and I order my T-bone, and they bring it out, and I'm looking, and I was like, man, this is amazing. It looks like a steak. And I cut that bad boy up and put a piece in my mouth, and I had this moment of joy <laughs> that was immediately followed by despair. Because I realized that whatever it was I had been eating before was not steak. If this was a steak, then I had been lied to my entire life. 
And I sat there and I ate that steak and I vowed I will never, ever again return to a Western sizzling. I may never be able to afford this steak again, but now that I've had this steak, I can't see myself going back to what I used to call steak. And Paul is sitting here with the Galatians and he's saying, guys, when I came to you and I preached the gospel, you received the gospel, you tasted and you knew that God was good. And when you've experienced the goodness of God, Please do not go back to a Western sizzling steak. Just enjoy the Lord. Because you're about to exchange an amazing gift for a thing that is no gift at all, but in fact it is a curse. And he looks at the Galatians and he simply says, Guys, did I labor over you in vain? What is it about us that have such a hard time accepting a simple gospel? That brings me to my second point. Am I now your enemy? Verse 12, you can read with me. It says, brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and you would have given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Paul is absolutely confused. He's looking back and he's saying, hey, there was a message that I preached to you. And when you heard it and you received it, you received it with great joy. And my message has not changed, but for some reason now the message that at one point was joyful to you has now made me your enemy. What happened, Galatia? Like what took place? So he writes them and he says, brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. Okay, so this pattern right here is somewhat consistent in Pauline writing. When Paul writes, you hear him over and over saying, hey guys, I wish that you would become as I am. Hey guys, I wish that you would follow me as I follow Christ. I I wish that you would follow my example. Paul is consistently, as he's pursuing the Lord, he's asking people, hey guys, as you see me following the Lord, do the things that I do. But here in Galatians, he has a little twist to it. He says, normally it's do as I do as I follow the Lord, but here it's, I want you to become as I am, for I also have become as you are. Uh, This is really fascinating. See, when Paul arrived at Galatia, in in human terms, Paul didn't really show up with a lot to offer. I mean, the fact of the matter is, is according to the text, he showed up broken. He was sick as a dog. Whatever was going on, apparently he had a hard time seeing. It says that when he arrived, he didn't just show up to be a blessing to them, but he actually showed up and was a burden on them. The assumption is is that whatever was going on in Paul's life, when Paul showed up to these church, well, they weren't churches at the time, but when he showed up to these people in Galatia, that he showed up completely dependent on them to care for him. He was broken. He didn't show up in arrogance or pride. He showed up with nothing to share with the Galatians of value except for the message of Jesus Christ. 
He showed up with nothing in his weakness, and all he did was declare the message of Jesus Christ. And it says, when he declared the message of Jesus Christ, remember the way that you received me. Even though I seemed like I was a burden, you weren't burdened by me. And when you heard the message that I received, you treated me like an angel of God. See, Paul was so confident in his presentation of his gospel to the Galatians at this point that when he opens the book of Galatians, he even says, hey, if I were to come to you or an angel from heaven comes to you and preaches you a different gospel than what I first preached to you, let them be accursed. Paul knew, hey, when I first got there, I was weak, I was broken, I was sick, I was at a point where I was completely dependent on your care, but I got the gospel right. I got the gospel right, and you had no reason to take care of me, and you had no reason to receive me. You had no reason to be burdened by my sickness, but when you heard the gospel, you took me in as an angel of the Lord. You believed that what I said was a message that God himself had sent to you, and you assumed that I was the messenger that he sent it, so much so that you would have gouged out your own eyes and given them to me if I needed them. Guys, Please remember the time when we first met. And if any of you guys are thinking about Michael Jackson right now, I thought about Michael Jackson all week long. If you know that song, do you remember the time we fell in love, girl? Do you remember? That was like all week long. This has been my go-to because I'm like, this is what Paul is saying. He's like, guys, what happened? Remember when we first fell in love? Remember when we first met? Remember the message that I shared to you? Guys, this was an amazing message from the Lord. And now you're taking all that we used to have and you're replacing me with the message of these Jewish guys that have showed up. So Paul says, guys, I'm asking you to be like I was, and here's how I want you to be like me. When I showed up to you, I had nothing of value to offer but the goodness of the gospel. And in that way, I want you to be like me. I want you to arrive at the point where you realize the most valuable thing that you have is your faith in Christ and in Christ alone. And he said, but at the same time, I want you to realize I want you to become like me because I became like you. He said, guys, how did I minister to you? See, here's the thing. Paul was a Jew. Not only was Paul a Jew, but Paul was pretty proud to be a Jew. He liked his heritage. He loved the Jewish people, right? He had, he had creature comforts. He had habits. He had things that he liked, things that he preferred. And when he came to the Galatians, one of the things that we see is that when Paul came, he realized, hey, if I'm going to reach the Galatians with the gospel, I can't preach the gospel to the Galatians the same way that I would preach it to the Jews. I'm going to have to become like the Galatians as much as I possibly can so that I can preach the gospel to them so that I don't make the mistake of trying to make them Jews, but instead I treat them like we all are, and that is dead in our trespasses and sins, and I present to them a gospel that speaks to their culture. See, in this, in this way, Paul was following the example that Christ had set. In Philippians, Paul even says, I hope that all of you have this same mindset the same mindset that Christ Jesus had, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped or held on to, but instead he emptied himself, taking on the form of the servant, being born in the likeness of man. When God sent his son as savior of the world, he realized that if I'm going to send a son that is going to save sinners, I'm going to have to send him in a way in which he can interact with sinners. I got Jesus in a lot of trouble. Jesus was this great teacher of the law, but every time they found him, where was he? He was hanging out with the sinners. 
It wasn't that he was participating in their sin or sharing in their sin, but if he knew if I want to be a savior to sinners, I got to spend the time with the sinners. And Paul took that and he realized, hey, if I'm going to save Galatians, if I'm going to preach a gospel that offers salvation to Galatians, I'm going to have to learn to speak like Galatians. I'm going to have to eat the things that Galatians do. I'm going to have to enjoy the things that Galatians do. I won't go to the temple and worship with them. I'm not going to send in the, share in the sin of the Galatians, but I'm going to become all things to all people as much as I possibly can so that I might by some means save them. Paul said this is the attitude of somebody that brings a good gospel is they want you to be like them in their faith, but in all other ways, they're willing to become like you so that you may receive the gospel. And the Jews are saying the exact opposite. This Jewish group is showing up and they're saying, hey guys, we want you to be like us, period. Just be like us. It's cute, Galatians, that you guys have got the spirit. It's cute that you guys have gotten the faith, but you don't really understand it because if you really understood it, you would submit to the law the way that we submitted to the law. So the Jews are coming back and they're simply saying, hey guys, if you really wanted to understand what it was like to be freed by the God of the Passover, then you need to submit yourself to Passover. If you really want to understand what it's like to be freed from the law, then you need to submit yourself to the law. The Jews are saying, if you really want to understand what it's like to be made new by the Lord that is able to circumcise your heart and renew you from the inside out, they're saying you first have to submit to circumcision. And Paul is saying, absolutely not. The only thing that you need to be saved by the Lord who come to save sinners is to be a sinner and to trust in him. Paul was mad. And he's saying, guys, when you first heard it, you rejoiced, but now this truth has made me your enemy. So what is it about this Jewish group that shows up? Here's the thing in Galatians, we read that this Jewish contingent was actually a group of believers out of, out of the church of Jerusalem. In Acts, we know that the church of Jerusalem did not send them to preach this message. James makes it clear they're preaching this on their own accord. This is not actually the teaching of the church. They were not given instruction to teach these things, but they really are convinced because they had received their faith in a Jewish context. Because they had received in a Jewish context, they were convinced that anybody else that received the faith would understand it and enjoy it better if they had understood it in the Jewish context context. They were convinced if you really want to understand the faith, you got to become a Jew first. That seems crazy to me. But then I started thinking about it and I'm realizing, man, how tempting it is whenever I'm wanting to disciple somebody for me to take a shortcut and rather than pointing them to the simple truth of the gospel in Jesus Christ, how common it is for me to want to default to simply reshaping a person into my own image. I've got two kids, a 10-year-old and a soon-to-be 9-year-old. My 10-year-old is essentially a carbon copy of me. He looks like my twin. If you saw pictures of me when I was 10, they're almost identical. He's just a little bit shorter and narrower. All the time, he'll be acting, he'll do something in the house, and Amy will look at me and be like, copy and paste. It's just like a little you. And it's, sometimes I look at it, I'm like, this is awesome. Like, it's so much fun. And then other times, I begin to see myself in him, and it's really devastating. Because I realize all of my sinfulness, I'm beginning to see it play out in his life. And it hurts me. Because I'll sit there sometimes, and I'll realize, man, 
the easiest way, the shortcut to raising him up is to sit down and try to simply recreate all of the experiences that I had in his life because all of the experiences that I had in my life is what eventually led me to faith in Christ. So why would I not want him to experience the same things that I've experienced? But then it dawned on me, wait a second, all of the experiences that I had growing up required that I be saved out of those things. All of the experiences that I had growing up, I look back on them and I realize, hey, these were not things that I should rejoice in. These were things that left me cursed, that left me, that left me lost. I needed to be saved out of these things. And if I'm not careful, rather than simply teaching my son the simple gospel and pointing him to Christ, I'm liable to recreate the same system that left me lost in my son. Why? Because it's what I know best. It's the easiest thing for me to do. And Paul is saying, hey guys, don't let them recreate this system in you. That may have been how they came to understand faith, but they're Jews. You're not Jews. You don't have to relive their life in order to understand the faith. And the fact of the matter is, is Paul is actually saying, not only do you not have to relive their life, but their life wasn't working out the way that they think it is. They say that they're submitting to the law. They've never obeyed the law a day in their lives. In the same way that they came to faith, you come to faith. That is acknowledging that I have nothing to offer and simply saying, Lord, I trust in you and you alone. So that leads us to our third point. And that is Paul simply saying, I am perplexed. You can read with me. They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you might make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. Not only when I'm present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth, but until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. It's such an interesting way to kind of end this thought. Guys, I wish I could be with you because if I were with you, maybe I could change my tone. But since I'm not with you and I'm writing to you based on what I'm observing and what I'm hearing, guys, I'm just simply confused. Because you knew the real gospel. And then all of a sudden, these guys show up, and they try to make much of you, and you like it. The language here, I think it's really funny, because the language that they're using is, is almost courtship language. It's the equivalent of, hey, guys, you knew God, but then all of a sudden, these guys from Jerusalem showed up and started flirting with you, and you liked it. <laughs> and you were like, hey, I like this attention. And from the immediate attention that was present, you were willing to walk away from the God that you could know in order to get the attention of these guys that were just a little flirtatious. And Paul is saying, hey guys, it's okay if you want someone to make a big deal out of you. It's actually not a bad thing for once, for, to want somebody to see you, to know you. It's not a bad thing for somebody to want to make a big deal out of you, to want somebody to make a big deal out of you. But guys, you got to understand the motives. They only want to make a big deal out of you in the hopes that you'll come back and make a big deal out of them. It's a conditional love. They're like, hey, guys, we, we, will, we will love you so much as long as you turn back and love us. We'll make a big deal out of you as long as you'll make a big deal out of us. 
And this is the absolute opposite of what God was offering them in the gospel. Because God is coming and he's saying, Galatians, I would love to make a big deal out of you. I want to celebrate you, but here's the thing. You don't really have much to offer me. He's coming back and saying, Galatians, I want to love you. And this is the beauty of it is I want to love you so much, even though you really don't have anything to offer back. And that is the gospel. When we had absolutely nothing of worth to offer the Lord, he loved us anyways. And he came and he died and forgave us of our sins and he was resurrected and he offered us new life. And he's saying, there's nothing that you can do to buy this. There's nothing that you can do to earn this. There's nothing that you have that I'm in need of. But if you just trust me, it's all yours. A free gift. Be forgiven. Be adopted. Be brought into the family. And he's looking, he's saying, I'm so confused. How in the world are you willing... How in the world are you willing to give all of that up just because these guys from Jerusalem showed up and showed you a little bit of attention? We live in a lonely world. Right now, the next generation that's coming up is said to be the loneliest generation that's ever existed. It's an entire generation of people that just want to be known, that want to be seen. They just want to be valued. They want somebody to make much of them. And the Galatians knew that. I mean, not the Galatians, the Jewish contingent, they knew that and they showed up and they were like, and if we just flatter them a little bit, they'll follow us. And you know, I, I might even be convinced that the Jewish group didn't even have bad motives. I think it's possible that the Jews actually thought that they were doing a good thing. But here's the thing that's so, so deceiving about this is, is a false teaching that's done with good motives is still a false teaching. A lie that is taught with good motives is still a lie. So no matter what the motives of the Jewish group was, at the end of the day, what it results is in is the Galatians sitting back and saying, hey, even though we have been known and loved by God, we're willing in this moment to exchange that to simply be flattered by this other group. And Paul said, you know where that leaves me? That puts me back in the position where now I feel as if I am in anguish or in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Now, I'm not saying that Paul made a mistake, but I was under the assumption that the appropriate time for a man to compare anything that he's going through to childbirth is never, ever, 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 ever. Again, I'm not saying that Paul's wrong. I'm just saying, I don't think I would ever be like, hey, this is kind of hard on me. It's like birthing a child. I don't think it would go over well. But Paul is communicating something that is very important. See, Paul is looking at the Galatian church. And again, like I said earlier in the sermon, Paul is looking at the Galatian church and he's saying, hey, based on the fruit that I am seeing, there are two things that must be true about you. Either one, you believe the truth and now you've been led astray and you've been deceived. Or two, you never really understood the fullness of the gospel the first time. And the only response that Paul has is simply to 
to go back and to preach the gospel again, to preach it again, to offer it to them again, to simply say, hey guys, if you didn't believe it the first time, believe it this time. There is salvation. There is freedom. There is forgiveness that comes in Christ and in Christ alone. And the only thing required of you is just simply that you believe what he did and trust that he could apply that fully to you. No matter whether you've been deceived and have walked away or you never believed in the first place, Paul is simply saying, guys, I'm just going to come back and I'm going to preach the same gospel that I preached to the first time. And it is going to hurt me because here's the thing that we have to keep in mind. And the, the example that Paul sets We often talk about the gospel as if the gospel is a free gift, and it is a free gift. The gospel is a free gift for every single person that desires to receive it, but the gospel is only free for those that receive it. The gospel costs so much for those that are carrying the good news. For Paul to carry the gospel to the Galatians, he was sick. He was beaten. He was stoned to the point of death. He was drugged through the city. He was imprisoned on various occasions. For Paul to preach the gospel, it almost killed him. And when he got to the point that he almost died and realized that maybe they just don't get it, Paul's response was simply this, if you didn't get it the first time, then I'll do it all over again. Because that's the power of the gospel. If they beat me the first time, they'll beat me the second time, and it'll be worth it because there's hope. There's hope. So I'm going to conclude with this, and the Cokers are surprised because I'm actually going to get done by 11.45. Guys, I don't know where you are, but I want you to understand, when we preach the book of Galatians, we don't preach the book of Galatians assuming that all of you guys are guilty of the same thing the Galatians are guilty of. When we preach the book of Galatians, we preach the book of Galatians because we're all broken people. And if the Galatians could have misunderstood the gospel, we may have misunderstood the gospel. And if the Galatians could be led astray by false teaching, we could be led astray by false teaching. We preach the book of Galatians because Paul over and over and over again wants to remind the Galatians that there is hope in the gospel. There's hope in the gospel. There's hope for you. Reading this quote from Spurgeon I think it's from Spurgeon. Spurgeon's kind of like Churchill. If you don't know who said it, just say Spurgeon said it. It's probably likely true. <laughs> Spurgeon was asked about the preaching of some contemporaries of, of Whitfield and of Wesley. Spurgeon kind of humbly acknowledged these guys are good preachers. And he said, guys, Whitfield and Wesley, they may be able to preach the gospel better than I do, but they can never preach a better gospel than I do. Here's the fact, guys, there's a lot of amazing ways to deliver a good message. What Paul is saying to the church of Galatians is that there's only one good message. And you might find people that preach it better, but you'll never find anyone that preaches a better gospel. And that's what I want you to believe. So if you're here today and you find yourself in a position where you realize, hey, guys, I used to believe. There was a time when I found great joy in this and I've submitted myself to my former way of life in the same way that I used to be a slave. And then I believe the gospel. I've gone back and I've I've returned to old ways. I've returned to things that used to enslave me. I just want you to know that there's hope for you. Guys, if you're sitting here today and you're realizing, guys, I thought I believed the gospel, 
but I'm still so sinful. And every time that I sin, I have this tendency of just thinking, well, I have to do better. I have to do more. I have to try to earn it. That's not the gospel. If you're in that position, I'm just simply saying, hey, the gospel is there's nothing that you have that can supplement or increase the power of the gospel. And what I'm offering you today is just simply that opportunity to take a step in faith toward Christ. So if you're in either one of those positions and you would like to speak with somebody today, you can come talk to me, you can talk to Austin, Jamie is outside. Please don't let the time go by where you miss this opportunity. Find somebody. Find somebody that will help you take that step in faith. Find somebody that will continue to preach to you the hope of the one true gospel. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so thankful for you. We're absolutely amazed of the simplicity of your story. We're just unbelievably blessed by the fact that you relentlessly pursued us, that you were patient with us, that you were kind and long-suffering. Lord, I just pray that as we reflect on this, on the fact that God came into the world to save sinners, and we are sinners, and if we trust him, we will be saved. Lord, I just pray that you help us rest in that and not try to improve it, not try to add to it, but just simply rest in that. Lord, we love you and praise you. Amen.